It's Monday, October 26th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, joining me in studio from Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser, and from Stock Advisor Canada, Taylor Muckerman. Good to see you, gents. Happy Monday. Happy too. Monday. Cal- Carolina Panthers fan, Taylor Muckerman. That's yeah. how we're going to start. It's Carolina him. Panthers Monday, man. As, as, as long as that team's on It's a very foolish organization, founder led. Fan of Bojangles, big tie, big tie back to Wofford College, yeah. my alma mater. I mean, See, you gotta love that. The Panthers are oh, owned yeah. by Jerry Richards. And Richards okay. is uh, Richards, and they also uh, they also practice their summer. Um, what is it? Their summer, I guess, camp OTAs or whatever, or whatever it is yeah. out at. Uh, it, they built a big, huge facility there at Wofford College. Like it was a big deal back when I was there. I'm not going to go back to what date that actually was, Chris, because then <laughs> I'd be dating myself. Not as far back as Jerry Richardson. Yes, as far back as Richardson goes. But um, yeah, they were building that whole big facility out there, and and so it's a you know pretty big deal out there for for the Terriers and Spartanburg. And if I go to that facility during Carolina Panthers OTA, is it just wall to wall Bojangles food? It should be. Yeah, it could be. <laughs> it could be. I mean, the Jangler is. You know they have a market position. Well, there I told you last the night they gave away our secret. They showed Jerry Richardson with a, a mega glass of Bojangles sweet tea in the box. <laughs> there That's you go. The ticket. That's what's fueling the the unprecedented rise of the Carolina <laughs> Panthers team. Um, we're going to dip into the full mailbag. We're going to talk about a big deal in the energy industry. But let's start with what's going on in the online travel market in China. Sea uh, Trip and Shunar. Are, if not the two biggest players in online travel in China, they're certainly two of the biggest. And over the last few years, they've been engaged in just, just an all-out price war. And now, shares of both stocks are shooting to the moon because they ha- help me figure this out. They've apparently called the truce, <coughs> um, engineered some sort of a stock swap, and they're going to be sharing. Database information. I, uh, That's what it sounds like. This uh, thanks let, to the deep pockets of Baidu. Well, yes, yeah. Baidu, which owns fifty-five percent of Shunart. Let me tell you what else this sounds like. It sounds like a little something we call collusion. This sounds <laughs> like price collusion. <laughs> well, and don't I mean this is China, right? So it's they're they're going to be able to Cayman do. Based Chinese this is companies. going to be a little bit of a you know they're they're going to be able to kind of do what they want as opposed to maybe. You know, I don't know if they would say collusion. I mean, let's just let's let's not make accusations here, but but let's call it what it is, right? I mean, these are two uh, smaller businesses in the in the travel industry. They they do a little bit uh, of different things there, um, but but they are ultimately focused on that that growing uh, online travel market. And so you you think about what's the biggest advantage in this line of, in this line of work. And it's the network of providers you build up, right? I mean, if you you have that network network of providers, then uh, you're going to be the one getting the business. And um, you know, if you look at the two businesses separately, Sea um, Trip is a publicly traded company with an 11 billion dollar market cap, and they do about um, one and a half billion dollars in sales annually. And is it Chunar or is it Kunar? I'm, I'm always I've heard it's, both it's ways. It's Chunar. Q U N A R, but I believe it is pronounced Chunar. Chunar is a publicly traded company as well as Taylor mentioned, based out of the Caymans. Um, it is about a five billion dollar market cap. They do about five hundred million dollars in sales. Now Chunar is owned so Baidu, which is like the Google of China, owns almost fifty percent of Chunar to date. Um, what this is going to do, Sea Trip is going to end up getting a 
45% stake in Chunar. Baidu, which again backs Chunar, they are going to get about a 25% stake in Ctrip. Now, also not to be lost here is that price line. Lost? Yeah, we're, we're <laughs> probably we probably thoroughly confused everybody. But also uh, when you look at Ctrip, Priceline actually holds a small stake in Ctrip as well. And that is something that probably will grow uh, in time as well. The bottom line, this is a a big market opportunity with a a number of, of small but powerful players in it. And, and as they recognize the biggest advantage is that network of providers, um, you are seeing, I think, the the biggest players in the space wanting to really take advantage of this consolidate uh, because it is going to be a big cash cow here in the coming decade. Well, they're kind of doing what we've seen in the U.S. Maybe not. We haven't done it with as much collusion or, or convolution, I guess I would say, with Expedia purchasing orbits and travel velocity, and then uh, Priceline. Obviously, I think they're bigger than Expedia, but they control about eighty percent of the U.S. market combined. So. Yeah, and then you look at TripAdvisor with that Liberty Interactive TripAdvisor stake, which you know is a little bit confusing there. So there, there's some some different sort of ownership interests there, and I think that's another thing we'll see um, shake out here sooner or later. Because I think we've seen, you know, generally speaking, more. Of of the sort of the consolidation already happened here domestically mm-hmm. at least, but but isn't the big X factor here whether or not the Chinese government allows this to happen? I mean, this seems like the sort of thing that if this were happening in the U.S. and you had this small base of companies, I, and I can't help but come back to the word collusion. You know, colluding <laughs> to because I mean, if you again, you look at what happened over the last couple of years. This price war is happening. Um, the profit margins for Ctrip certainly, you know, falling precipitously. And now all of a sudden, we're one big happy family. We're all going to be working together and. You know, I I think I mean the price war is over. Well, I guess briefly reading about it, they had talked about merging or partnering before. It just never happened. And then I guess Baidu got three directors on Shunar's board, and suddenly we have this deal coming through. So whether or not they had influence or not, I I didn't read deep enough to find out. But uh, it did seem like some some interesting timing there for Baidu to get three board members instituted, and then this this whole deal to finally go through. I mean, all four stocks that we're talking about are all on the rise today. Priceline is rising the least; it's up about three and a half percent. That being said, it it seems like Priceline <laughs> has the least to lose right. in terms of if the Chinese government just decides to come in and say, "No, no, no, none of this is happening," or decides to exert some type of influence over this move. Um, and if not, then again, the the profit margins are going to look a lot better for these companies. Um, but if they do decide to come in, I feel like Priceline is the best hedge. Possibly, I mean, I think Baidu. It could be argued is is going to be um, in relatively good shape, regardless of what happens. I mean, because number one, you know, even even if nothing happens, Baidu still maintains the ownership stake in Chunar that they that they have today. Um, and then two, you know, Baidu is essentially you know the search giant of China already. So they they've they've you know they've got an established business model and a bit of a more diverse sort of revenue stream 
as it already stands. So I think they they are you know they they could continue to go on uh, business as usual. Certainly, C Trip and Shunar are the the two businesses that stand to benefit the most from this as they're tying up with with bigger um, resources there. Duke Energy is buying Piedmont Natural Gas for four point nine billion dollars in cash. Shares of Piedmont up around thirty eight percent today. Yeah. So congratulations <laughs> if you're a Piedmont shareholder. Uh, Duke Energy down a little bit. Is it simply because there are some people who look at the price tag and say that's just a little bit too much? I mean, the the thirty eight percent rise by Piedmont. I mean, that's still putting it shy of the four point nine billion. So arguably, Duke is paying. I'm just off the top of my head. They're paying a forty five percent premium for Piedmont. Is I mean, is is that the concern? I would have to imagine everything that I read. Leading up to this podcast was that that valuation that they're paying is higher than any of Piedmont's peers currently trade at are estimated to trade out on twelve year um, analyst projections and so yeah I could see that there's some big worry there and also utilities I don't know it's such a big acquisition to where you, I think there's just so much uncertainty long term in the utility spec space especially if you're still talking about a company that, yeah, they're using natural gas instead of coal, so that's a little bit safer um, in terms of the longevity that people are expecting from that from that resource. But wind and solar, I'm I'm still thinking in the long term of the next fifteen to twenty years, natural resource based uh, utilities are in trouble. And so I guess this is just like a, a midterm bet for Duke that they need to move away from coal because it is. Pretty reliant on coal compared to some of the bigger peers in the United States, um, and with August third, the EPA came out with their clean power plan that says states need to cut carbon pollution by thirty percent of two thousand five levels by twenty thirty, and CSX has been quarter after quarter showing slumping coal shipments. Um, so coal is on the way out in terms of power production. So this is just a, a hedge, I think, on that part of Duke. But I would personally, if I was a Duke shareholder, prefer to see them go more. Renewable. I, I was going to say I, I don't want to overstate what's happening to Duke stock today. I mean, it's down about two and a half percent, so it's not like it's you know falling off a cliff or anything like that. But um, and to your point, you look at the size of Duke; it's a fifty billion dollar company. Yeah. I mean, they can they can make this kind of deal. But um, uh, to your point, it sounds like if if the price tag that they're paying for Piedmont is not where the skepticism is. Mm -hmm. It's that, well, look, if you're going to overpay for something, isn't there anything else you'd like to overpay for? <laughs> exactly, yeah. And, and at the same time, I mean, I guess they, because they have to make those dividend payments, they need, they need some near-term reassurement that this is going to pay off, so they need those cash flows, and maybe a renewable resource company wouldn't give those initial cash flows, um, so they need that more immediate growth. But at the same time, if I'm investing in a utility and you want that stability, I want that stability for 20 years, not just the next five to ten. Marketfoolery at fool.com is our email address. A couple of listener questions. First from Ashley Katayan in San Francisco. These days, I do most of my shopping online, and most of stuff arrives in all types of boxes, which makes me wonder, where do all these boxes come from, and is there any way to invest in one of these companies? It's a good question, because I certainly notice it any time, every time I walk by the sure. room on the other side of this studio, which is where the mail goes. And certainly, over the next few months, we're going to be seeing more and more boxes piling up in there. Mm -hmm. um, there are some publicly traded 
yeah. cardboard companies, aren't there? Absolutely. Yeah, I like the way Ashley's thinking there. I mean, that's uh you know, look at look at the long term trends. And I mean, one of the long term trends is more boxes showing up on more people's doorsteps as e commerce continues to grow. And, you know, there is a company out there um, called Grief, ticker is G E F. And they are uh, they they make more than just cardboard boxes. I mean, they make all sorts of, of types of containers, uh, but they do make corrugated and paper packaging. That made up about forty percent of its operating income last year. Uh, you know, the problem is though. And I mean, you look at you look at a stock like Grief, and over the past five years, it's not rewarded shareholders at all. And, and I think the biggest problem here is that ultimately these boxes are more or less just becoming um, commodities. You know, I mean, it's kind of like saying. All right. Well, maybe we should find the maker of Starbucks cups because more people are drinking Starbucks coffee now than ever before, or the lids, or whatever it may be. And and you know, while while the trend is there, you're right. They're probably using more cups, and companies are using more boxes. Ultimately, you know, the companies that are using all of these boxes are using the argument that like, okay, we're going to buy a boatload of these boxes, so give us a break on pricing. Uh, and so then the box makers kind of get stuck on this spinning wheel, so to speak, where they have to just keep on churning out all of these boxes for you know relatively uh, lower profit margins because they have to you know at least give give away some on pricing. Now one another way to kind of look at this, and, and it's a bit uh, it's a bit more upstream in in the cycle would be uh, to maybe look at the supplier of of a company like Grief. So a you know a way that they could actually um, play in with the company that's supplying them all of these stuff to make those boxes, and so look at something like a Plum Creek Timber or a Wirehauser, for example. Wirehouser, Plum, yeah. yeah, Plum Creek is ticker PCL, Wirehauser is WY, but these are both real estate investment trusts that actually focus on the timber industry. And the neat thing about real real estate investment trusts or REITs, as we call them often here, is they have to pay out at least ninety percent of their taxable income to shareholders in order to maintain that status, and that status is preferable for tax purposes for them. Uh, but the nice thing is there, you look at timber, and timber is a renewable resource. Uh, we figure the demand will continue to grow because of the demands for pulp from the industry, uh, and and it is somewhat limited in supply, right? I mean, you can run into any kind of a commodity cycle there, where you know maybe they're not harvesting as many, or maybe just straight up, you know, the real estate is actually limited in in where you know they're able to actually source these trees for the pulp to make the boxes. Uh, but regardless, while you're not looking at something that, that that's going to double overnight, what you do get with these REITs is a very nice um, income stream in the form of a high dividend yield, and they have to keep doing that in order to maintain that REIT status. So, so you can get a pretty uh, nice little income play off of something like that. Um, you know, playing in the direction of of you know more boxes, so to speak. And not knowing much about it, but International Paper Company is yeah. just another name. If you're looking to compare some some peers together, I'll toss that one out there. From Seth Smith in Colorado, if cars become substantially safer from self-driving initiatives, does it make sense that auto insurance will become much less profitable? Is this potentially a trend to think about in our investing decisions? It's a great question. I remember talking with uh, David Gardner. I think it was probably about a year ago, and and this was one of the topics that came up in our conversation. Was just sort of the ripple effect basically we started talking about self-driving cars mm-hmm. and then it was just sort of the the ripple effects from there um, one of them being thinking about municipalities who derive a decent amount of money from parking meters 
and parking tickets and that sort of thing. And what if, in the not too distant future, you're dealing with uh, cars that can just drive themselves home, and so then all of a sudden it's no longer a problem. But well, if you're Chicago, that's a good thing. I think they sold all their parking rights to like J.P. Morgan or something for several billions of dollars for like the next twenty to thirty years. So J.P. Morgan or whoever I can't remember who exactly bought it, but they'll be left holding the buck. And the city of Chicago actually made a, a move that was frowned upon at the time because the people that lived there thought they got shorted. Um, but in that terms, might, that might work out for them. Yeah, it might work <laughs> out. Uh, but in terms of insurance, it's that's tough to say. I mean, you could probably lose the variability in terms of good drivers versus bad drivers and how they charge you your premiums and and things like that. But I would imagine there would still have to be some form of insurance um, that you would have to you know subscribe to because there obviously are going to still be accidents at least in the next thirty years. I don't think cars are going to be smart enough, and you're not going to have all autonomous cars. For a long, long time, so there's still going to be humans out there driving. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the biggest question is, does this disrupt the insurance business? And I think I think the the short answer is no. Um, I think that insurance is still going to be required, regardless of whether it's a you know a self-driving car or a you know a human-driven car. Um, so there's gonna there's gonna be liability. Uh, required, and and so I, I think if anything, you might even have a situation where it could play out the other way for insurance companies because you know if, if we if we accept the premise that insurance is always going to be required, and we know that insurance is going to differ from area to area. I mean, they find places where traffic is really heavy and accidents are, are frequent, and you know insurance rates are going to be higher than than places where where the the reverse, the opposite is true. So I think that when you you have Potentially safer drivers in the form of self-driving cars, uh, perhaps accident rates go down, um, which then would mean that probably insurance companies are not having to pay out as much in the form of claims, which then ultimately could mean that while yes, over the longer period of time, maybe they're able to bring insurance rates back down um, if they're not paying out as much in claims, and perhaps their combined ratio. Goes lower and lower and lower, and ultimately, you know, insurance companies take advantage of that uh, float that we always talk about. Um, you know, where it's that money that they don't have to pay out immediately in claims that they can reinvest that money and make more money with it. Uh, some some insurance companies do it better than others, but you know, you look at Geico, which is is held by Berkshire Hathaway, or Progressive, which is its own company. Progressive is a bit more on the conservative side there, um, but I think that any which way you look at it, that gives the insurance companies the potential. To not have to pay out as much in claims, which could, in theory, make them even more profitable. Uh, you know, and I mean, the Progressive is taking one step here, sort of getting smarter about their drivers. They have a little device that Progressive insurers can volunteer to keep in their car, and it gives some ideas as to when and where their drivers are driving to, to sort of get a better idea of whether uh, they're safer drivers or not. And if you're a safer driver, you can bring your rates down. Um, so, I mean, I, I I like the direction the question's going. I just, I just think that you know, honestly, as long as the human factor is involved, which you know, it, it always will be because the human factor is going to be, you know, part of developing those autonomous cars anyway. Um, I, I think it has the potential to actually make insurance, uh, the good insurers, more profitable over time. See, we start with Carolina Panthers and Bojangles, <laughs> and we take you all the way through to combined ratio. Now, that is not anything <laughs> a full circle show. that you are going to find on other 
you, radio stations. You only get podcasts. that here on Market Fooling. Thanks for being here, guys. <laughs> Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Thank you.